So we're going to read from Matthew 13. Starting at 54. It's called A Prophet Without Honour. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get these wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So this little discourse sits in um, a bigger story. Scripture always does that. It's really good to read around. And Jesus had been teaching to the crowd. He'd been teaching them about the kingdom of God. He'd been telling them parables like uh, the pearl of great price. And um, after teaching the crowd, he decides to go back to his home place. You would think that would mean he was received. But actually what this scripture tells us is that the home place was the place where they questioned him more. They, um, it actually says offend, they were offended by him. The Greek word is skandaliso, which is probably where we get our word scandal from. They were scandalized by him. They were offended by him. They were repelled. They were hindered. And they were caused to stumble because of how they interpreted him. And um, we don't really know why that was the case. It could have been, some of the um, commentators suggest, it could have been because he was preaching a really, really different message to that that the Jews would have known. He was preaching about the kingdom, and the kingdom wasn't something that anybody ever talked about before. It was a message that was uncomfortable. Tony Campolo calls it the upside-down kingdom. It's a message of challenge. It's a message of giving up our lives. It could have been that. It could have been like when Joseph had the dreams in the Old Testament and he shared them with his brothers. They were offended because they were jealous. These were his siblings that were questioning him. It could have been that. It could have been that they didn't understand who he was. But what we do know is that the offence that they carried had a consequence. They brought their offence to a place where they dishonoured who Jesus was. And that dishonour caused a block. You know, um, you can speak as a leader in lots of other places and get a very different response. And Nikkei is smiling and nodding at me right now. 
Um, you know, you can go to New Wine and do a seminar, and you can talk, and you can have the most, like, quite astounding response. I remember once Andy and I went to New Wine years ago, and we taught on marriage, and we did the two seminars on marriage, and it was packed out, those seminars always are, and um, it finished, I think, at 12.30, and we were still doing ministry at quarter to three. What, why? Why is that? Why do you go somewhere else and have a different response? Well, I think it's because people come with expectation and they come with faith. And that faith interacts with what they hear and they're ready to be open and to receive and it changes the dynamic. Dishonor blocked that dynamic with these people. It blocked the ability for Jesus to do what he could do in many other places. He still saw some healing and some miracles. But there was something that happened there. And it goes on to say that it was because their lack of faith. But as you read across scripture, what you see is that there are many other places where it doesn't talk about faith being the interaction that causes the healing. So when you look at John 5 and the man at the pool of of Bethsaida, the lame man, nothing is mentioned about faith before Jesus heals him. And when you look at the demoniacs who have no faith because they're completely mad and bound, there's no faith operating there that's spoken of. So Jesus isn't telling us, and don't go away with this, that your lack of faith means you haven't seen something happen, okay? That is not what he's saying here. I think what he is doing is he is going deep, as he always does, into their hearts and looking at their attitude. If I leave anything with this church, it's this. God is after your heart. He is after your heart. And... He talks about it over and over again. He says that out of the overflow of um, your heart, your mouth speaks. What we say and our actions absolutely reflect what we believe on the inside. They absolutely do. Our heart, it says in Luke, is a storeroom for good or for evil. A storeroom. The heart, Jesus says, is where adultery starts It's where murder starts. And he calls anger the same as murder because it's what we're focusing on, what we're dwelling on, what we're meditating on. Jesus here is saying that the lack of faith is about a hardness of heart towards him. It's about rejecting him as the son of God, rejecting his divinity, his godliness. It's about preventing the Holy Spirit to be at work because they have said, "Mm, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he's just my brother. Nah, I don't see him like that. This is how I see him. The Nazarenes were questioning his authority, his majesty, his divinity, and his lordship. And ultimately, they were questioning his nature. Um, Beth and I have been doing a weekly thing where she came to me, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this to you, but she came to me at a huddle and she said, I've got loads of theological questions and I want to um, 
discuss them with you. And I was like, great, what we'll do is we'll meet on a weekly basis and we'll go through all these questions together. And then she sent me the list. And I was like, ah! <laughs> I was like, Beth, some of these things I've never even thought of myself. And I've had to go away and think about them, which has been really good exercise. One of the questions which somebody had brought to her was, um, why did Jesus need to be the Son of God? Why couldn't he have just been a good man who did good things, who lived a life that meant there was a legacy which other people got told? And that's why we remember him. Why did he need to be the Son of God? Jesus is not only fully human, but also fully divine. If this affirmation means anything, it means that what Jesus does and suffers is at the same time the doing and suffering of God. The preaching of Jesus is more than the word of a prophet. In his preaching, God decisively addresses us. Jesus does not simply announce the coming reign of God. The reign of God is embodied in his person and his work. When Jesus forgives sinners, this is not just the pardon offered by a human being. It is also God's forgiveness expressed and enacted in this human being. Jesus' companionship with the poor and the sick is not just a caring human being's companionship with suffering fellow creatures. It is God's solidarity with these people made concrete in what this human being does and suffers. Jesus' passion and death are not just the martyrdom of another innocent victim in an unjust world. It is primarily God's supreme act of costly love. God's taking our sin and estrangement into God's self and overcoming them for our salvation. Jesus was the Son of God. And in this, in their offence, what happened was they questioned that. And so I hear you say, and so what? Of course he's the Son of God, Amwin. Of course he's prophet. Of course he's saviour. When we started on our sabbatical... God revealed to me that I was very offended with him. That I had a long list, a long account of things that I was holding against him. Are you offended? Because like with the overflow with our words and our actions, the reason we know we're offended is this. Our hearts becoming hardened. Are we actually increasingly withdrawing from God or are we moving towards Him? Are we becoming cynical and unbelieving? Do we dissect the simple testimony and bring it down to the logical rather than accept it in our hearts as the work of God? Do we preempt the negative because it's easier to deal with the disappointment before it happens? Do we re- redefine our theology because actually the gap between what we experience and what the word says is so large for us that we can't cope with it? Paul Mack used to call it the cliff of faith. 
that we're at the bottom of the cliff and God's word is at the top. And between those two spaces are this cliff. And actually, that's a cliff in which we're supposed to climb in a journey of faith. But what often happens is that gap feels so large, what we do is we redefine who we think God is. And we take things out of his word because we can't put them into our experience right now. And we change who he is. We actually reduce his power. We make him in our image. My offence with God and our offence with God is often because we've actually had legitimate pain. It might be that you have chronic illness. It might be that you've had suffering in your family. It might be that the death of someone you love deeply, you still don't understand. It might be unmet expectations When I was a young adult, I believed that I could change the world, and now I struggle to believe I can change my family. It might be that we thought the gospel was this, but actually it's that. We're taught all the time in our culture, and I realize that as I get older, I don't actually also mature more in Christ, but I get more used to my culture. And my culture tells me that radical individualism is the way that I should walk. So what I think, what I feel, what I think is the best, me, 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 I'm the Lord of me. That is what our culture tells us. And yet our gospel tells us, die, come and die. I heard of a church in America where that was their strap line, their vision statement, come and die with us. Wow, it's attractive. (laughs) But you know what? That is the gospel. The gospel is give up your life to him, And you will find life in all its fullness. It is not a self-improvement program. It is a death program. It's that I'm giving up to you, Jesus, and my life is now yours. You are Lord, and I am not. But the tussle that can go on with us The expectations we thought it was, we thought we'd live in a bubble, we thought it would be comfortable, we thought it would be nice. And actually, there's hardship and there's suffering and there's difficulty. And I know I say this a lot, but honestly, guys, we need to just be real with it. We need to be real with it. Jesus wants our hearts. And as I've prepared this morning, what I feel more than anything is like the passage in Jeremiah 18 where the potter has the clay in his hand and he's molding it and he's mal- it's malleable and he's shaping it that is what he's inviting us back to I don't know if you've ever tried to mold clay when it's been left out in the air it's really hard and it cracks and bits fall off it God is calling us to have hearts that are soft and malleable. And actually, in that passage in Jeremiah, what the potter says is, I will remold you in the way that I see fit. The clay isn't going, make me like this. That's how I want to be. (laughs) The potter is saying, I will shape you. I will mold you. 
I'm in charge. The thing about offense and dishonor is that they cause that hardening. And when we're hardened, it's really difficult to be able to receive. And everything about relationship with God is about receiving. Because we only love because he first loved us. We can actually only worship because he gives us love for him to worship him. Oh, awesome. Thank you. (laughs) For those of you listening online, that was. (laughs) We can only... Everything in our relationship with God is his initiative. He came after us. He died for us. When we were lost, he looked for us. When we were broken, he came and he mended us. It's his initiative. We love because he first loved us. We worship because he loves us and we give it back to him. We love others because he loves us with a love that is incredible and we want others to know that love. And if our hearts are hardened, it makes it very difficult for that process to happen. Very, very difficult. There is also a sense in which that the dishonor that we feel towards Jesus or that we give to Jesus happens amongst the body too. Because the body are the body of Jesus. So we cannot disconnect from the fact that we belong to him and that he is in us. And so if we're dishonoring him, it also makes it very difficult for us to receive from one another. And we're designed to receive from one another. The body is made up of many parts, and each one is given a gift, a gift of grace. And that gift isn't for them. It's for them to give it away. But if we're carrying dishonor and offense in our hearts, we can't do that. We're called to lay stuff down. And Andy and I have been leading this church for eight years. And I have to be honest, probably for the first five, I felt like we were still battling for people to believe in leadership. Many hard things have happened in this church way before us. It's time to lay them down. It's time for there to be a future into our present, not a past into our present. It's time for people to look forward and to honor one another and whoever you call and to receive them and to receive the gift that they are to you and the gift that you are to each other. And that makes me sad. (laughs) But I'm being real with you. It's time to lay stuff down. It's time to stop letting the past speak into now. Because it's gone. It's past. There's a future here that's glorious. 
God is wanting to do a new thing. Do you behold it? Do you see it? Do you let it spring up? Because God wants you to have soft hearts where he can make a new thing and he can do a new thing. Whatever that looks like, with whomever that looks like. But do you behold it? And this morning, I really, really, really want to call you to bring your heart before God. And we're going to have some worship and some response. I've got paper and pens, and what I really want you to do is get real. Because it's blocking you. It's blocking you from receiving the fullness of Jesus and what he wants to do here, but in you more than anything. And I'm not saying it's not painful. Some of the things you're carrying are so hard. They're so hard. But you know what? If you carry that on your own, what it turns into is is bitterness and dishonor. And what you have to do is bring it to the cross. And you might have to keep bringing it to the cross. Because honestly, guys, I'm doing that. But you have to. So let's stand. I'm going to give you some paper and some pens. And um, this is not for anyone else to see. So when you have when you have written down with the Holy Spirit what you want to bring, um, we're going to come and we're going to offer it in here. Um, because in the cross... In the cross, it's, it's dealt with. And um, the power of the past is no longer being, needs to be what speaks into your future, whatever that is. So um, I'm going to hand these out. I'm going to encourage you to just be open to Holy Spirit. Um, Andy and I are going to go around ministering to people. I really, as I was preparing today, I just felt Holy Spirit just really wants to meet with people. So, that's up to you as well. (laughs) Um, So, open up your hearts.